Today on the show, we dig into the new Daily Wire documentary, What is a Woman? I'll respond to it and share some viral moments from the film, but more than anything, what I wanna to try to do today is to help uncover the ideology, the idea behind so much of what we're hearing today in the transgender movement and so much more going on in our culture. Because if we can uncover that singular idea, it will help us not only understand what to think about these things, but also how we can help people who are struggling with so many of the cultural phenomenons that are impacting us today. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching the show today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, before I go any further, I just wanna make sure that I make it explicit that today's show is a little bit explicit, not in its language or anything like that, but in the subject matter that we're gonna be talking about. So as we dig into the documentary, What is a Woman? You're, you're gonna see some, some subject matter that is not for young ears or delicate ears. So I would highly encourage you if you're listening to this with kids that you kind of um, find something else for them to do while you privately listen to this yourself. The information is crucial and you need to listen to it, but your kids probably do not need to listen to it. This stuff needs to come from you. So often the culture is trying to shove it down their throat, but you, your par the parents, need to be the one who are sharing this with your kids. So don't let me be the one who's, who's sharing them with it today. So I wanna state that up front. But then also want to tell you, if you want to stay a little bit more informed and you want to dig a little bit deeper, you can go one extra step with us here at IndieThinker. You can go to our website, IndieThinker.org, and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We try to put it out weekly, but suffice to say, what it is is an opportunity for uh, what we talk about here on this show to go a little bit deeper in written form, but then also for us to kind of bridge outside of these issues and talk about other things that I think you will find informative. Now, I know more and more people are tuning out the news because the news are just straight up liars, but also too, you just get this feeling, this sensation, right? That after you've heard the news, you've just wallowed in the mud. Um, and here's why I think that is. I, I think when we hear what's going wrong in the world um, and we don't do anything about it, something inside of us just kind of, it doesn't sit right with us. So the reason very often you have to turn off the news other than the obvious fact that they're lying to you and you shouldn't listen to them because they're not a reliable source of information, but the reason very often we try to kind of stick our head in the sand, I guess, and try to avoid what's going on in the world is because we know then we're going to be held accountable for actually doing something about it. And I think that's actually a good thing. I think that's kind of, we're designed that way, that when we hear what's going wrong in the world to feel a conviction about doing something about it. And so many people find that experience so discomforting that they wish just merely to kind of try to avoid it at all costs. So. What I want to try to do is I want to encourage you to, I want to encourage you to embrace that feeling, and um, and stay as informed as you possibly can, because that's the only way that you really can do something about it. So I have a great analogy for you. Uh, over the weekend, I just saw Top Gun. Fantastic movie, patriotic, really good. You walk away not feeling dirty from the film, but actually feeling inspired and feeling good. Um, and a lot of people say, well, it's because it's free from wokeness and it's free from political agendas and all that kind of stuff. Um, here's why I think so. Uh, yeah, that that's true. It's it's not specifically political, but it is patriotic, and and it, it doesn't have woke ideology in it. But it does have something else that I think is valuably important. Is it has people who are standing up for something they believe in and winning. So we need to do that more and more and more. We need something to believe in, 
and we need to be informed if we're going to believe in it. And then we need to stand up for that thing. And then when we stand up for that thing that deserves to be believed in and we win, boy, that gives you a positive feeling that I believe you were designed to experience. You were designed to win. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit later in the show today, but suffice to say, you were designed to stand up for what you believe in and do something about it. And something doesn't sit right with us if, if we don't. And I think more and more, we're finding that there aren't stories to really get behind. Now, I'll dovetail one other movie because I just watched Apollo 13 with my wife. She had never seen it before. Now, you'll have to forgive her. She wasn't married to me and we were not in a relationship back in 1995. I didn't know her at all. So I didn't expose her to the great film, Apollo 13. Uh, but the reason I bring it up is this, is that at the beginning of the movie, you may remember if you've seen it, they're all sitting around the TV and they're watching the first man to land on the moon, Americans landing on the moon. Um, and, and they're watching as they hear these infamous words, um, uh, the, the words, one small, small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So they hear these infamous words and they're watching this just awe-inspiring moment of a great human achievement in American history, one of the greatest of all time. Um, and, and I just thought to myself, boy, we need stories that we can believe in. We need things that will bring us back together like that. And, and that's, in a sense, what Top Gun is. Um, by the way, you, you go further in Apollo 13 and you find another story of heroism and a story that people can bring, that brought the world together, where, where these guys were risking their lives and, and were saved. Sorry, spoiler alert. Saved in the end because of their valiant effort and their human ingenuity. So suffice to say, we need stories that we can, that we can believe in again. Stories where the hero wins, but, but the hero doesn't win if we don't take a stand. And when we do that, I think we'll find good things at the end of the day. Now, I'm going to argue for that here in just a moment. But uh, before we get there, I want to make sure that you know that this episode of Indie Thinker is sponsored by our friends over at Element Funding and the Kevin Blair team. Now, the Kevin Blair team can help you if you're looking to refinance your home or if you're looking to purchase a new home. They can lock you in at a great rate before things get crazier than they already are. So I want to encourage you right now, you can go down to the show notes, the description of this episode, or you can just go to kevinblairteam.com where you can get pre-approved for a home loan and you can see how they can help you secure your family's financial future. So do that right now. Don't wait. Go to kevinblairteam.com and let those guys help you. And then when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. So What is a Woman is a documentary starring Matt Walsh, which is one of the personalities over at The Daily Wire. And it follows him on his often comical yet deeply disturbing journey as he fearlessly questions the logic behind gender ideology and the gender ideology movement. Uh, and that takes aim at whim, women and children specifically. Now, throughout, you'll find Matt's dry, sarcastic humor and that Matt is extremely reserved compared to how he acts on his show because you know, he's doing the best that he can to engage these interviews, even though they often verge into the ridiculous. So he engages people on the street, he engages supposed experts in their field, and here's some of the highlights from the trailer for What is a Woman? What is a woman? Can you tell me that? <laughs> well, you're at the Women's March, you must have some idea. Please, if, if one person could tell me what a woman is. You are not here for women! We ask you to leave. What is that? I'm a husband. I'm a father of four. I host a talk show. I give speeches. I write books. 
I like to make sense of things. A woman is not anything in particular. There is not one particular thing. It could be many things to many people. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. I like scented candles. And I've watched Sex and the City. Yeah. How do I know if, if I'm a woman? That's a great question. You're not a scientist. You're not a gender studies major. No. How do you know that you're a man? I guess because I got a dick. So I can kind of sum up the doc for you this way. It does a fantastic job of exposing the ideology behind the transgenderism craze. By using the question, what is a woman, the circular logic of the left-wing gender ideologues is clearly exposed throughout this film, especially those who are supposed experts. But more importantly, there's a secular dogma underneath even that, that is ruling our social elites and our institutions that has become its own religion of sorts. So let me try to explain that because I know that's a big claim. So there's a trans dogma that's built upon the radical belief that there is this distinction between biological sex and a completely invented category called gender. This is the idea of nature and nurture. So nature would be your biological sex and gender would be the nurture side of things. So it's this idea that nature is this unguided process outside of God because God doesn't exist. And only the high priesthood of gender ideologues can help you overcome the obvious nature that they wish to try to avoid. And they do that by convincing you that gender is a social construct um, and that experimental surgery can solve your issues battling with your soul, all the while trying to convince you that nature doesn't exist, that actually, that you can believe that you can be in the place of God and you yourselves become God by demanding that nature conform to your preferences. Perhaps that's why they try to get people to conform to their pronouns. Underneath everything in the doc is a big question that I want to ask that really doesn't get answered because I believe that, that it takes a Christian perspective for this. Why do human beings have the desire to even know who they are? We're the only species of this kind of self-awareness, aren't we? Lions don't ask why do they exist. Birds don't ask if their life has purpose or why they feel the way they feel. Why is that? You probably know my answer if you subscribe to this podcast or have watched it before, uh, which, which you should, by the way, um, all the above, watch it and subscribe. But, but the one fact you cannot disagree with is this, is that we have to be careful when people come along and try to provide cheap answers to some of life's biggest questions. So here's this, there's this idea. Here's the dogmatism of our age. There's an idea that a doctor with pills in his hand and a knife in the other hand is the solution to how you feel. And, and that may be the greatest hubris of our age. And children and adults are suffering as a result of this hubris, which probably segues nicely back into the doc, what is a woman? And the questions it does answer. If you care about truth and reality that corresponds to it, then you should enjoy Matt's film. So let's look at some of the viral moments from this film so that you can get an idea of what's really involved. If somebody that I was in love with or whatever said that I was in the wrong body, I started to think, well, maybe I am. I'm a biological woman that medically transitioned to appear like a male through synthetic hormones and surgery. I will never be a man. Is it transphobic for me to tell the truth? Why is it that a couple hundred years from now, if you dug up my body, they're gonna go, yep, that was a woman, had babies. 
Now, I want to talk to you real quick about Scott Nugent. Scott Nugent was actually on my podcast back in the day, probably about six months ago. You can see that podcast by going back to our show archives or scrolling back and looking at our videos if you're on YouTube. And you can see where Scott was on the show. But, uh, but Scott's story is harrowing, to say the least. And I, and I first heard about Scott from uh, Dan Crenshaw's podcast, actually. And on it, my heart was broken when I, when I started to hear Scott's story. Now, if you subscribe to The Daily Wire and you've seen this, Doc, you understand exactly. But you can see it probably in the clip I just showed you, a little bit at least, that you can see just kind of the, the gut-wrenching, the heart-piercing story of Scott, who was born a woman and still is a biological woman, by the way, and, um, and then went through gender reassignment surgery that almost killed him. Um, and I think the clarion call throughout all of the, or at least the most, the drastic thing that, that Scott says throughout the whole interview with Matt is just this. If the gender, the transgender lobby, the transgender ideologues got me at 40, there is no hope for your kids. So this was Scott's way of saying this, that he was confused, he always felt like an alpha woman, he always felt a little bit more tomboyish, whatever you want to say, um, and he was convinced, he feels, by the culture, by people that were close to him, who had also been convinced by, by others, that the answer to his problem was, was sex reassignment surgery. The same thing that we're trying to push over on kids nowadays, and this surgery almost killed Scott. I don't want to go too far because I, I don't want to spoil any of, the, uh, any of the, the details of the interview with Scott. But suffice to say, you'll hear some of the same things on my podcast. So I really encourage you to go back and check out that past episode. But what happened to Scott was that he grew on his urethra internally in his body, obviously, a six-inch long hair that gave his body an internal infection that almost killed him. Um, he had spent so much money already that he couldn't continue to keep up his... Uh, insurance and his insurance dropped him and he was having all sorts of complications from this surgery that he was told to have because it would solve all of his soul's issues and those issues have still not stopped to this day. After almost dying, Scott says that he now has brittle bones and he has pulmonary issues. He even stated this, that phalloplasty, which is the surgical procedure of removing skin from somewhere on your body to create a penis on you, has a 67% failure rate. That's insane. But, but I've heard a lot about this. We'll get into a this a little bit more um, with a discussion I had with somebody that's transgender just, just recently and their difficulties with their, with their quote-unquote bottom surgery. Uh, but, but there's some astounding statistics that are given throughout. And, and perhaps one of the, the most important for you to remember is this last one that I think is worth mentioning with Scott. Scott says, Seven to 10 years after transition, studies are showing us that suicidal ideation comes back and it's just as bad or worse than ever before after transition. But these are things that people are not talking to us about. Now, I'm going to justify that claim in a, just a moment here and dig into that a little bit more. But I think another viral moment in, in the documentary needs to be expressed, which is when do kids finally get to make that decision? Because this is what we're told all the time, right? You can have a dead son or you can have a, a living daughter um, because suicide is so bad in these kids who are struggling with their identity that the only answer is for them to undergo the knife, not, not uh, praying and waiting, not, not any kind of counseling, but, but to undergo experimental full body surgery. So 
the documentary has multiple settings where the kind of question about how 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 young is too young and when can kids finally start identifying with what they're really they're, they're supposed to be and start rejecting the agenda they were assigned at birth. So here's a clip of Matt speaking to somebody and them detailing the youngest person that they've ever done transitional surgeries on. Can kids consent? Do you think kids are no. capable of consenting to this? No, they're not. Being a parent is loving the hell out of your kids and helping them see around corners. What's the, what's the youngest patient that you've operated on? The youngest patient I've done vaginoplasty on um, is age 16. Do you worry that minors just don't understand enough about themselves, they're not neurologically developed enough yet to make permanent life-altering decisions? Absolutely not. So here's what I want to say about this, because we're going to dig into kind of the age of consent here in a moment. Uh, but the one thing you cannot say about this documentary is that it relied upon a straw man. Matt interviews doctors, professors, psychologists, trans people, and many, many more people on the other side of this issue in this documentary. So he did not do the easy thing of just talking to people that agree with him. I mean, he even talked with somebody that was supposedly an expert that said that they didn't know if female chickens can lay eggs because we can't ask them what their gender identity is. And then there's other claims like this from these supposed experts. Only dinosaurs believe that transgenderism is barbaric. Uh, we have other experts say Santa's real because you believe him to be and that the word truth is condescending and rude. There's these claims and more coming from these people that are on the other side of the aisle. So the real problem is not that you have to rely upon a straw man to address the subject of transgenderism. Because the real problem is that transgenderism is based upon a complete and utter fantasy that is upheld by people in elite circles and in institutions who, generally speaking, know better than what they're even saying, than the things coming out of their mouth. Let me show you another clip where we kind of see that same thing. At what age does the medical transition begin with uh, medication? So medical affirmation begins when the patient says they're ready for it. Whenever they say they're ready, that's when kids can undergo drastic surgeries. That's when kids can start taking puberty blockers. Okay, so that woman that we just showed right there in that last clip, this woman goes on to discuss with Matt and Matt asks her, a, I think, a very poignant question. He says this, he says, um, you ever met a kid that believes in Santa Claus? And the woman says, yeah. And then he says, so, Kids believe that a fat man wearing a red suit travels at light speed on the night of Christmas Eve to drop off all of the toys that little boys and girls open on Christmas. And she said, yeah. Um, and he said, so is it fair to say that, that children have a tenuous grasp on reality since that doesn't exist? And the woman goes on to essentially say this, that because those kids believe that Santa exists, therefore Santa exists. Now this is somebody that is a pediatrician. This is somebody that works for the likes of Planned Parenthood saying that Santa exists if you believe he exists. These are the kind of gymnastics, the mental gymnastics that you have to do to believe in some of the things that are being peddled to kids nowadays. Not to mention the idea that, a, that an infant, this same person says an infant can ident identify their gender or that they can essentially communicate to you what gender they really are so that they can undermine what those 
pesky doctors said to them at their birth by identifying their genitalia, uh, which of course we know is such an arbitrary way to, to judge these kind of things. I, I don't wish to be condescending, even though it may sound like I am. I'm merely just trying to express exasperation, frustration, and the reality of the fact that the people who are the smartest in our society, the people who are the most educated in our societies have done what the scripture says. They've professed themselves to be wise and they have become as fools uh, because they've believed this lie and they've gone to great lengths to convince themselves of this lie. They have to lie to themselves now because they're in too deep. Which brings us to kind of the next thing that I want to take a little bit of time with because uh, Matt Walsh talks about where these ideas come from. And so he digs into two guys, Alfred Kinsey and John Money. Um, and I'll show you a, a, a little clip right now of, of that kind of discussion. Kinsey would be very happy with our culture today. His idea was that children are sexual from birth, that we're all inherently sexual creatures from cradle to grave. He believed that true happiness is found in a life of perverse sexual experimentation. John Money was a psychologist and professor at Johns Hopkins University. Gender ideology was his brainchild. In fact, he coined the terms gender identity and gender roles. And according to Money, babies are gender neutral at birth. And ultimately, environment determines whether a person is a man or a woman. All right, so I want to take some time right now to kind of discuss this stuff with you guys uh, of who these, who these gentlemen are, because uh, I think it's very helpful. So John Money and Alfred Kinsey are central figures in our modern conversation on the supposed malleability of biology. Kinsey is a well-known sexual deviant, so I don't want to focus on him. In fact, I want to do the more fair thing. I want to focus on the guy who is more well-reputed of the two. So I want to focus on John William Money. So John Money uh, was born in 1921. He died in 2006, and he was a New Zealand psychologist. He was a sexologist and an author known for his research into sexual identity and the biology of gender. So Money found his magnum opus when he ran into the Reimer twins, two, two boys that were brought to him. So uh, Bruce Reimer was a young boy who recently went through a freak accident during his circumcision and his penis was almost entirely burnt off. When the Reimers um, experienced this, they were frantic and desperate for somebody to help. They heard about Money's research, so they took their child to him. Upon inspection, he encouraged that the baby be castrated and raised as a girl, and then gave the parents instructions, if they go through with this, never to tell this child that he was a boy. So the parents did this, they changed Bruce's name to Brenda, and then they followed his instructions. But here's the problem. They found that Brenda was not adopting very well to being raised as a girl. The parents continued to bring both of their boys to money, where he then exposed them to sexually explicit conversations at a very young age and exposed them to constant pressure, specifically on Brenda, to have surgical procedures done to him to do a vaginoplasty. And when that didn't work, he resorted to forcing them both to take off their clothes, the, the, the brother and then the other brother that was raised as a girl, taking off their clothes and filming both of these boys in sexually explicit positions with each other. This is all part of his experiment. Finally, as a last ditch effort to try to push Brenda into a vaginoplasty, um, the boy at the time was forced to sit down with money and a transsexual person who had just undergone gender reassignment surgery so that these two people could discuss this with a child. I'll show you a reenactment in a documentary the BBC did that kind of shows this scene. She was almost 13. 
Dr. Money made one last attempt to persuade Brenda to have a vagina constructed. The psychologist enlisted the help of a transsexual. Is there anything you'd like to ask me or anything you'd like to say? He thought that when Brenda saw someone who had voluntarily submitted to a genital operation, she would be willing to have surgery too. Some experts think that this was a reasonable course of action. So after this encounter and others, Brenda finally refused all of Money's attempts to turn this child into a girl through vaginoplasty and other medical procedures. Um, and when she finally just broke down and refused to go anymore, the parents finally broke and broke the news to, to Brenda that his name was actually Bruce and that he was born as a boy. Upon this new information, he immediately requested to convert back to becoming a boy and then was raised as a boy the rest of his life and even um, had his um, had a, a phallioplasty to repair what had happened to him with that circumcision. But unfortunately, the damage had been done and both boys would later on in life commit suicide. Now, here's why I share that story with you. Not because of John Money and to show you how really frightfully evil this guy was because he was an abysmal failure and people know it now. He went on to report that his findings were totally successful and of course they weren't. And Bruce, um, who later became known as David, by the way, he changed his name to David uh, Reimer. Uh, when, when he found out that, that Money was still purporting his, his experiment with these two boys to be a success, he became vocal about it and then did the documentary that I just showed you. So I don't wanna show you this just simply to undermine money, that's, that's already been done. He's a quack. But rather to show you the idea that kind of undergirds the transgender movement. And it's the idea that we can refute our nature with just the right kind of diabolical nurture. That you can touch a hot stove as it were and expect not to be burned. Which in my mind is really just an indication of secularism or godless thinking, if you will. Now follow me on this, even if you don't believe in God. But if God does not exist, then there is no such thing really as nature, right? Or it's just random and science can run roughshod over it. But Jurassic Park long ago tried to tell us you screw with nature and it has a bad way of coming back to bite you in the butt eventually. In fact, it doesn't even take that much time usually. So I want to bring you back to that claim that I said I would come back to from Scott Nugent about seven to 10 years in the suicide rate of transitioners. So here's him saying that. The truth is, is that medical transition is experimental. We have um, studies that said that medical transition helps mental health, helps mental health with kids. They've all been retracted, modified, changed. But the only long-term study tells us seven to 10 years is when transgender people are the most suicidal. After? After surgery. But that's transphobic to say. So Scott Nugent's claim is that the highest suicide rate for transgender people is seven to 10 years after transition. Now I wanna justify that with a little bit of information. All right, so a long-term follow-up of transsexual persons undergoing sex reassignment surgery was done as a cohort study in Sweden by a division of the NIH. Now they studied 324 sex reassigned persons, 191 male to female and 133 female to male. And they did this between the years 1973 and 2003. 
Now, using random population controls and, and matching these individuals by birth year and birth sex, or reassigned final, final sex as it were respectively, they found these results. The overall mortality for sex reassigned persons was higher during follow-up than for controls of the same birth sex. And particularly, their rate of death from suicide was higher. Sex reassigned persons also had an increased risk of suicide attempts and psychiatric inpatient care. Comparisons with controls matched on reassigned sex yielded similar results. So when they were compared with um, others who were reassigned sex outside of the study, that they'd also yielded similar results. Female to males, but not male to females, had a higher risk for criminal convictions than their respective birth sex controls. Now, nonetheless, here's the conclusion of all that. Persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably higher risks for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. The findings in that study suggest that sex reassignment, although alleviating the supposed gender dysphoria that people feel, may not suffice as treatment for transsexualism. That's the ultimate conclusion from this thing, that sex reassignment does not suffice as treatment for transsexualism and should inspire improved psychiatric and somatic care after sex reassignment for this patient group. Now, of course, they can't come right out and say, stop doing this, but they're saying that you just need to up, up the ante a little bit, that sex reassignment is not taking away their suicidal ideation. Uh, you just need to watch them more closely. But, but I, wanna, I wanna take you to one more piece of research to kind of undergird um, what's really happening with suicide rate and transgenderism. So according to Brigham University's Aggressive Research Intelligence Facility, which conducts reviews of healthcare treatment for the NHS, the National Health Service, they concluded that none of the studies about sexual reassignment provides conclusive evidence that gender reassignment is beneficial for patients. Whoa, like full stop there, guys. None of it has been proven to be beneficial at all. It found that most research was poorly designed, which skewed the results in favor of physically challenging um, biological sex. So there was no evaluation of whether other treatments, such as long-term counseling, might help transsexuals, or whether their gender confusion might lessen just if you gave them a little bit of time. And this brings me to the final point that I wanna to try to make here. And this is almost kind of putting the film to one side, but using the information that we get from the film, it gives us this understanding that there is something deeply, deeply wrong, barbaric going on that we desperately need to pay attention to. And it demands our attention and it demands us to speak out. But the last point I wanna make is that there are people who are not speaking out. And the people who should be speaking out the most are saying things like this. Now this is a picture of a sermon series at one of the biggest churches in America. And the sermon series is titled, Not In It To Win It, all right? And you can read this probably in the subheading, but I'll read it for you if you're listening. It says this, quote, the reaction of many evangelicals to political and cultural shifts in recent years revealed what they valued most, winning. So the implication here is that people just wanna win and people are interested in winning cultural battles. And really, all of the things that we're talking about culturally right now are just selfish, jockeying for position. Like, forgive me, 
But I find it incredibly frustrating that a major church in America with a very powerful platform would state this kind of dribble in the face of what I just shared with you. Now, maybe they don't know it, but that's not an excuse. It's going on and we can't stick our head in the sand. But so many churches think that the middle is the place to fall on polarizing issues because doing so gives them this kind of reach across the aisle ability. But to that I say, reach across the aisle at what cost? While we are busying ourselves trying to make people like us by disguising how we really feel and what we really think about these issues, children and adults are in the midst of that suffering. I've always believed pretending is, is a bad way to reach people anyway. That like, like how is faking it until you make it really the best way to tell people? By the way, I'm gonna do the bait and switch on you now because what I told you at the beginning was just a way for me to tell you this. The best way to reach people is not the bait and switch. It's to lovingly be honest with them. And I'm not just positioning a theory here. And I'm not just telling you good thinking. I'm telling you things that I've lived. I lived the last 18 years of my life seeing people cry out for God because they were faced with the reality of their decision-making. Even if people disagree with you, they will at least respect you if you have the courage to say what you really believe and if you say it with conviction and love. And I experienced this just last week. Um, I, I don't want to use any names, but a trans person reached out to me via social media. After hearing their story and getting to know them a little bit, I started to ask them questions and they were really open and, and willing to, to have the conversation with me. So um, I, I shared with them what, what I thought about uh, transgenderism and what it's really trying to accomplish and what's really at the heart of it. Um, and they shared back with me heartbreaking results of their surgery and heartbreaking results of the way they feel about it post-transition. So forgive me, I don't think this is about winning. It's about saving people's lives. And even if it were about winning, it's about winning one of the most important battles of our age. And by the way, it's important that we win this one because we're losing badly on it. And it's a battle that can easily be won if we will stand up for what is right. But we have to awaken to the realization that this is not about proving who's right in an argument. This is about refusing, life-altering, cancer-giving, brittle bone-insuring, chemical-castrating medicines that are right now being pushed down on children. This is a battle that is worth fighting because right now, the, the other side of this battle is ensuring that girls live the rest of their life with scars across their chest after they go through a double mastectomy. And then, after that beautiful, you know, move, they're left with emptiness in their soul, all the while ensuring that they will regret their decision because now they've been left infertile. So it's a battle for ensuring that we stop the single issue causing the highest rate of suicide. So yeah, you say, we just want to win. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, this is one I want to win and it's something worth fighting. So a final point about this. Don't profess to be caring. Don't profess benevolence or some moral high ground because you're taking a middle position. That is not a moral high ground. That's more about your image than about the truth. That's more about your image than it is about morality. The middle is the place that people go to retreat not necessarily where they go when they have nuanced positions so it forces them in the middle. You know, the middle is not even a rejection of extremes. I don't want to be extreme left or extreme right. It's typically a place 
where people go to refuse to take a position because they don't want to be held accountable for the social cost of actually standing up for what they actually believe. But the good news is, in reality, most people don't occupy the middle. They're not in that radical middle, as some people call it. When, it, when you get down to what people really think, when it comes to abortion and when it comes to the transition of children, they usually don't have this kind of impartial, well, you know, you do you kind of position. They know down deep inside it's wrong. By and large, Americans agree. There is only one answer to the gender transition of a four-year-old, and that is to say no. But so very few wish to stand up and say it simply because they're afraid and they retreat to the middle so that they can attempt to polish their cowardice until it looks like thoughtfulness. So reject all the foolishness. Respond to the contrary because the truth is there is only one definite way to ensure that you're not winning if winning is so bad and that is to surrender. Which is what so many pastors and leaders and progressives have done. They've done exactly that. They've fallen for the extortion, the blackmail, that if you don't say what I want you to say, then you are a bigot and you certainly must not be a Christian. Um, but, but I'll tell you what, this Christian isn't going to fall for it. And I hope you won't either. I hope we never forget evil is powerless if the good are unafraid, which is why we cannot afford to lose or to care about others who are obsessed with losing so that they can seem compassionate. So sit this one out, but the cost will be great. Rise to the occasion, and the church will be what it has been through the ages, a force for eternal good. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and sign up for that newsletter. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.